I saw your be good baker running by again the other day, says I to old Mr. Brennan. Ah, yes, says he. I've never seen her stand still. And she's running rings around the rest of us with our Brennan's be good bread. Only 60 calories a slice. 60 calories, says I. That's just a whole meal, is it? No, says he. It's the whole meal, the whole grain, and the waste. 60 calories a slice and high in fiber, whatever way it slices. That's why anything baked is better with Brennan's. Today's bread today. Are you feeling lucky this St. Patrick's Day? Easy Living Furniture has a pot of gold waiting for you with absolutely everything reduced across sofa, dining, bedroom, mattress and accessories. Get the three-seater dark grey Harper sofa for only 459 Donut 240cm dining table for only 289 and much more. Don't miss out on these lucky savings at Easy Living Furniture. Find your local store online at easylivingfurniture.ie have you heard the news? The Indo Daily is up for a Listener's Choice Award. Head over to the Irish Podcast Awards.ie forward slash vote. Today on the Indo Daily, the jigs, the reels, and directorial debut of Michael Flatley. In 1994, Ireland got its first introduction to Michael Flatley. And for three decades, the Irish-American dancer who thrives on his Celtic roots has the most expensive legs in the business and a Guinness World Record for his ferociously fast feet has entertained and indeed annoyed the world with his global domination of dance. But what does a billionaire who has everything want to do in 2022. Is today the day you wish to confess your sins? No, today. My sins are my own. Well, a directorial and acting debut with himself as the leading man, of course. You heard about the incident in London? Blake Molyneux is extremely dangerous. This is our chance. With Blackbird, Flatley's new movie premiering in Ireland this week, the Indo Daily felt it was time to tap into the life and times of Michael Flatley. Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. And I'm about to sin again. I'm Siobhan Maguire, and on today's episode, I'm joined by Irish independent Southern correspondent Ralph Regal. But first, Sunday World showbiz correspondent Eddie Rowley had a chat with the Lord of the Dance himself, and here's how it went. You all set, Eddie? Oh, we're all, yeah. All good, all good. So listen, sorry you can't make it to the premiere. I'm going to need someone to give me a hand with those martinis. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's Murphy's Law, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Of course it is. You wait wait three years for a party and then you're out of the country. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I know. It's it's, it's terrible, all those things go. It's good to see you, mate. Yeah, you too. So um, it takes a lot of bottle to uh, to stay. to put on a show like Lord of the Dance, it takes even more bottles to do a movie. Yeah, that's for sure. Absolutely. It's a, 
it's been some journey. Oh my God. Uh, you know, anything that could go wrong did go wrong. Uh, but you know what, it's a great learning experience and I loved every second of it, Eddie. And, um, you know, it's something I wanted to do for years and I finally got the opportunity uh, when the legs gave out uh, and I did my last dance in Caesar's palace at St. Patrick's day, 2016. And my dear old mother called me on the phone and she says, um, Right, Mike, you have no more excuses. Go off and make that second movie. And so uh, I and I gave her my word I would. I was I wanted to do it anyhow, but she kept on pushing for years. And so uh, I decided to do it. Sadly, uh, mom didn't make it out of 2016. God called for her on the 28th of December, but I kept my word. I'm glad I did. So have you been talking about this for years and years and years? No, not not this movie, but I've been talking about making one since I was a kid at six years old. I grew up on Gary Cooper and, you know, Humphrey Bogart and, you know, uh, Charles Lawton and, and uh, you know, Jimmy Cagney, John Wayne. They, those are the people that I saw growing up as a child. Those are the movies that I love. And I used to chase my mother uh, around the backyard of the kitchen, telling her stories about what the movie would be and all that stuff. And then. The dance thing took over. I went off, thank God, and that was successful. Made a few quid and and survived the storms. And um, then when it when when the when the axe came down there on in, in 2016, I had a little bit of time before I started the next thing. And I said, if there's ever a time, now is the time. Uh, get up and do it. And Eddie, you know better than anyone how many people will have told me impossible. You can't do a movie. You're a dancer. Like everywhere I went, impossible, impossible. Everybody, uh, just like it was when I first did Lord of the Dance, how everybody told me it was impossible. And I think that's kind of ignites something in me. I think I wanted to prove to myself that I could do it. Uh, but also, I think that a big motivation was knowing so many people, not just in my life, but everywhere. They want to do something. They want to do something great. They want to be somebody. They want to prove to the world that they're something special, but they're afraid, they're paralyzed by the fear of, oh, what are others going to say? What are they going to think? What are people going to say about me? And they're paralyzed. And you can't, you can't let that get in your way. You can't let that stop you ever. Nothing's impossible. You can have anything in the world. This, for me, Blackbird stands for that. I did it. I did it against all that. I did it. I can't encourage people enough. Stand up and take your best shot. Let the chips fall where they may, but at least you will have tried. And that's what this is about. Who I am is none of your concern. And what I do is out of your control. It's a really serious movie, but we laughed our sides sick on the set. <laughs> you can imagine all the stuff that goes on. And when you saw the end product, when you sat in the, in the cinema and watched it, what did you think and how did you feel? I thought, quick, it needs a re-edit. Get Sinead O'Connor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, can we change out that lead guy? Is it too late to reshoot? <laughs> yeah, no, it was, uh, you know, um, no, it's good. Listen, I, I enjoy the film. It's come out really good. Uh, in the end, they, they, when we did it at the Monaco Film Festival, the French loved it and the Italians and, I'm blessed that they took to it so much. But there was one man in the audience from Hollywood, Ben Rosenblatt, who's a big producer. I think he's got that movie Pred or Pred, Prez or something out there now. But 
he's done Batman and Star Wars, and he loved the movie. He said, would you mind if I had a crack at just re-editing a certain couple of things? And he did. My God, the movie flows so much better now. He did a fantastic job. And it's just, it's fun to watch now. It's For me, it's it's much more fluid, which is what I was hoping to achieve, you know, which was um, really good. And God, I can't tell you, Eddie, what we went through uh, trying to get it done. Um, even on the last, very last day, we had a, the shootout scene, which is one of the last scenes in the movie. And I, it was blistering hot sun and I got sunstroke on set. And so I spent half of the day in the ambulance with ice all over me and, and fluids being taken in and out to do the shootout scene. And again, because of the heat and because of the situation and the time constraints, we didn't have tomorrow. There was no tomorrow. We were done. Everybody's booked to go home had to be done now. And so uh, it was hard trying to focus on the guys across from you and seeing double vision. It was not an easy thing to do, but it, it came out really good in the end. Thank God. Ralph, you heard Eddie there having a very relaxed chat with Michael Flatley. Do you know him well? I, I don't know him as long as Eddie, but I do know him for over 20 years at this stage now. Um, I would have first met him about 2001, 2002, when, of course, I'm the Southern correspondent for the Irish Independent, so I'm based here in Cork. And of course, Michael bought Castle Hyde in 2001, which was a, an estate overlooking the River Blackwater, an absolutely magnificent house. But he paid about 3 million euros for for it in 2001. And at that stage, the house had actually broken its back. It was in a terrible condition. It was at risk of, of collapse. And over the, the couple of years after that, then he lavished an incredible amount of money to restore the house to its former 18th century glory. And I would have written multiple stories about the house. Um, I was fortunate enough to be invited to his wedding in 2006. I would have seen him dance. Ralph, I have to stop you there. He invited you to his wedding. Yeah, I'm, in my books, Michael's a good guy. And I'll tell you why I say that is that I deal with a lot of very famous people through the course of my job. Some are very pleasant. You could meet one on a Monday and on a Wednesday, they wouldn't know who you are. After the first time I met Michael, he never forgot my name. And over the years, I've discovered that he's incredibly loyal to people that he knows and that people have that have, you know, been kind to him, people that have um, worked with him. And unless you step outside that circle of trust, he is an incredibly loyal guy a great friend to lots of people over the years. And I was just very fortunate that we struck up a good relationship. As I said, in my book, he's a good guy because I've seen the work that he does locally. And a lot of it, contrary to what some people might think, he doesn't want any credit for. I'll give you one example. Every Christmas he would spend in Castle Hyde and either on Christmas evening or on St. Stephen's Day, he would go to the local old folks home or the local old folks hospital, geriatric hospital, and he would bring some of the Christmas cake and desserts that weren't used at Castle Hyde for the party. And he would go and take photographs with the residents and just, you know, a simple act of kindness to support people. But he never wanted publicity about that because he felt it was a kind of an invasion of the privacy of the older people. Um, he was very supportive of local community events. Um, to give you one example, um, there was a person that I knew was very unfortunate health-wise and there was a major fundraiser for them and a friend had rang me and said look is there anything you could do or maybe get a spot prize or whatever and of course Michael sprang to mind 
and hang him and said, look, is there anything you could do, like, you know, an autograph or a signed photograph? And he, he personally went down to the wine cellar in Castle Hyde, took out a very expensive bottle of wine from the personal collection, signed it, had a photograph taken of him with the bottle of wine for authenticity purposes and gave it to me. And it became one of the the, the, the most bid on items at the auction. He's just that kind of guy. There's a very, very generous spirit with him. What I would also say, though, he's one of those individuals that views loyalty and friendship as a two-way street. And if it's shown to him, he will return it. But anyone that he feels uh, presumes on that friendship or maybe tries to pull a fast one on them, you tend to step outside the circle of trust and you don't come back into it again. Now, here's the thing. You come from a long line of Irish dancers mm-hmm. uh, for you. And what age were you when you started uh, dancing? I was 11. 11. Yeah. And it, wow. does this frustrate you that, that people often do kind of mockia Irish dancing? You know, I don't judge anyone. Let everybody do what they want. It's all good. Because sometimes people just pretending to Irish dance does look very like Irish dancing. <laughs> It can, yeah, you're not wrong there. Now, he's easily the most famous Irish dancer in the world, Ralph. And uh, can you tell me a little bit about uh, Michael's childhood, where he grew up and how he got into Irish dancing? Yeah, well, Michael is is the son of Michael Sr. and Eilish. Um, Michael Flatley Sr. was from Sligo. He had immigrated to the United States for work and he was based originally, I think, up around the Detroit area. And that's where he met Eilish, who was originally from Carlo. And they married and they had five children. Now, I think Michael is the second um, eldest in the family. And when Michael was quite young, the family relocated from Detroit uh, to the Chicago area for work reasons. And Michael Flatley Sr. was an incredibly hardworking man, um, but who was also very, very proud of his Irish heritage. He's one of those Irish immigrants, as as you see great examples of it in the United States and Australia, New Zealand, whatever, the UK. They almost become more Irish when they're abroad than when they're at home. So he was very deeply involved. He wanted his kids involved in Irish music, in Irish dance. And Michael showed, um, he was a very talented boxer in his younger days, but he showed an incredible talent for both Irish dancing and for music. How did you get into dance? I did it the noble way. I was dragged by the ears by my mother into the dance class, and uh, it was better to face the dance teacher than get a slap across the head from my mom. And uh, it just kind of took off that way. I got good at it, and then next thing I was dancing. In 1975, when he was 17, he became the first American ever to win the World Irish Dancing Championships. And as if that wasn't enough, and um, when he was also a teenager, he won a number of gold medals at the Fla Kiol, here in Ireland. He's a very, very accomplished flute player. And in fact, such is his talent at at music that um, I was privileged once to see him. He was involved in a session, a jamming session with the Chieftains. Listening to him play, you'd almost swear that he was a lifelong member of the band, such as his his ability and his talent. But it was Irish dance that really became the focus of his, um, his ambitions. And it was very hard going in the early years, because you can imagine Back in the late 70s and 1980s, there was very, very little money to be made in Irish dancing. And he performed in lots of different shows. He performed in exhibitions. And eventually what happened was he began dancing exhibitions with the Chieftains. And that was throughout the 1980s. But his big break came 
at a very, very late stage for a dancer when he became involved in um, the, the Riverdance interval show in the Eurovision in 1994. And famously, he left Riverdance in 1996 and decided to go his own way and set up his own show, which of course became Lord of the Dance. And Lord of the Dance very much rivaled Riverdance in terms of its international success. I think at its very peak, um, there were four different troops for Lord of the Dance touring different parts of the world. It had a residency in Las Vegas. It was on Broadway. There was troops touring in Africa, in Asia, in South America. So it really became phenomenally successful. And you, uh, when you rehearse your, your new young dancers, is it true you rehearse them in the dark sometimes? Well, sometimes, yeah. Uh, not so much anymore. Uh, that was more in the beginning. I just needed to get their attention, get their focus. Um, I know one UK paper in, uh, I think it was about 2000, 2001, it estimated that the success of Lord of the Dance had made Michael Flatley the 25th highest paid entertainer on the planet. Well, Ralph, I get the sense that you do really like Michael uh, by the way you're talking about him. But, you know, he's not everyone's cup of tea. And we we saw uh, after Riverdance, and for the majority of us, it was a, a spectacle. It, it was fantastic to watch. But Michael flatly gave us endless entertainment in the fact that we had this man, you know, oiled up uh, Irish dancing in a way that none of us had ever seen before. And then there was also um, a, a couple of instances where he did find himself um, in a bit of trouble. I mean, he had issues in 1998 with uh, his then manager, John Reed, who sued him for breach of contract. And then he won a settlement uh, against a woman who falsely accused him of sexual assault. It was a very high profile um, lawsuit in London in the High Court between Michael and his former manager, I think it was John Reed, And that was settled out of court. A lot of people at the time said that it was an expensive defeat for Michael in the courts. But I think he was determined at the time to go his own way in terms of taking control of his own career, his own um, economic fortunes. And I think at the end of the day, he got the result that he wanted in terms of being in control of his own destiny. The other one, I think, was much nastier. That was an incident that happened back around 2003. And that was false allegations that were leveled against him by a, a, a lady in the U.S., uh, surrounding an incident in Las Vegas. Now, immediately that those allegations of assault were made, um, Michael Flatley and his legal team launched a counterclaim saying that there had been an attempt to extort them. And that actually proved to be the case in the fact that he won record damages against this woman who had made claims against him and had also um, won damages in terms of the efforts by her legal team to, as in his own words, to extort money fraudulently from him to keep that incident quiet or their uh, their their descriptions of that incident private. So they were the two big things. Now, there's been an awful lot of incidents over the years as well. Uh, there's a lot of people who don't like, I suppose, the swagger or the confidence that he has. And uh, I've, I've, you know, I've kind of only got one speed. I'm going as quick as I can and working as hard as I can and jumping as high as I can. And uh, the more you give in life, the more you get. And that's how I dance. And I think, Ralph, it's, it's not just um, people who might not like him for the swagger or, or indeed it is that extreme confidence. And it's the reason why he is so successful today. 
But also, I mean, he has had some questionable gigs as well. I mean, dancing at Trump's inaugural ball, dancing for Vladimir Putin. Yeah, I think in terms of the latter, um, you'd have to say that he, he, at the time, a lot of people interpreted his dance routine as quite a severe critique of Putin in that the number he actually performed in front of Vladimir Putin, and this is a good number of years ago, was called Warlord. And that was significantly before the whole invasion of the Crimea and, of course, the war in Ukraine. And to perform something like that in front of someone like Vladimir Putin, a lot of people interpreted it as a kind of a cultural line in the sand being drawn about what was going on in Russia. I think the Trump thing is slightly different in that I think Michael Flatley always views performances um, in certain venues as, you know, incredibly important. And for dancers, there aren't that many invitations to perform at a presidential inaugura- inauguration. A lot of artists declined to perform because of their political views towards Donald Trump. But I think Michael Flatley very much took it that, look, you know, he's the US president. You get an invitation to perform there and it's not something you turn down. I am proud to introduce the greatest team of dancers in the world, the cast of Lord of the Dance. They've come with me all the way from Ireland tonight to celebrate the election of America's new president, Donald Trump. May God bless him and guide him. I hope you enjoy the show. And I suppose also at the end of the day, it was particularly good publicity. It showcased once again what was going on with Lord of the Dance. Can we talk about uh, Michael in terms of what he's doing right now. So here is a man, money is no object. Um, you know, he's, he's made a successful career out of dancing. Is it true that your legs have an insurance premium on them of $40 million? That's right. And it's also true that you had or have a world record for being the best paid dancer. How much did you earn a week? at your peak? Uh, it's a naughty question, really, isn't it? But it's a pretty impressive statistic. Yeah, in the Guinness Book, I think it said uh, a million six sterling. Uh, pounds? Pounds, yeah. A week? Yeah. But you know, it doesn't sound much, but you got to start somewhere. <laughs> he's hugely popular. Uh, he's also hugely divisive. You either love or hate him. Um, and now he has turned his hand to directing and uh, appearing as a leading man in a film that he's also written. Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. And I'm about to sin again. I think anyone who knows Michael knows that he is very much a restless talent. I think if you look at, the, at what he's done, I mean, he's been a successful boxer, incredibly accomplished musician. But he even extended um, his artistic hand to art. He got very involved in painting. He was very interested in it. A lot of his paintings have sold for big money. And I think it was inevitable that he would try his hand at the visual medium. Do you think he's worried about a a bit of a backlash? I mean, he he has told Eddie that he he sees this as a very serious movie. Uh, They might have had a bit of crack on set, but for him, it is a serious movie. And yet the trailer uh, suggests some of us might find it quite amusing. I don't think so. I think Michael Flatley is, I mean, supremely confident. I mean, I don't think you get to do the things in life that Michael Flatley has done if you don't believe in your own ability. Um, Will he end up being regarded as a modern day Alfred Hitchcock or Steven Spielberg? 
I don't know. I'd say the problem, the odds are that it won't. I think it's going to be interesting to view it in, in, in the context of his overall career. The one thing I'm absolutely certain about is that no matter what uh, the critics or the reviews say about the film, it won't deter Michael from whatever his next project is going to be. And my thanks there to Ralph Regal of the Irish Independent. Well, just before I sign off for today, I'm going to leave the final words to Eddie Rowley and the man himself, Michael Flatley. Maybe Michael just finished then with the, the Irish uh, premiere. Obviously, that's that, that's a special night for you. Yes, it is. And uh, it means an awful lot to me. We're in over 100 theatres. Eddie, you and I are mates for a long time. I never dreamed... Uh, I'd have a movie in cinemas in Ireland where it's my home and I love. And uh, for I don't know uh, what the reaction is, but I can tell you anybody who has seen the film and certainly the Irish people have been so incredibly uh, supportive, so supportive. I'm thrilled uh, at some of the comments, even for the trailer. I'm over the moon. So, again, we gave a lot of people their start. And if one person who's out there who's afraid to get up and try something afraid to go after their dream if one person does it blackbird will have succeeded in spades i'm i'm thrilled so mate thanks so much for giving us the plug i'm certainly going to need it please god now they'll be uh, they'll be gentle with me when they see it <laughs> I'm Siobhan Maguire and today's episode of the Indo-Daily was produced by myself, researched by Tabitha Monaghan with sound by John Smith. Archive clips from the Eurovision, RTE1, ITV, the BBC, Riverdance and Lord of the Dance, the Blackbird movie trailer by Wildcard Distributions, the Sunday World and Independent.ie. If you enjoy the Indo Daily, don't forget to like, follow and leave us a review.